Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is April 22nd. In 1889, as many as 50,000 settlers poured into Oklahoma hoping to stake claim to a portion of nearly 2 million acres open for settlement by the U.S. government. Many had campaigned the federal government to open the land for settlement and were known as boomers. The land, formerly occupied by Native Americans, was considered unassigned lands after the federal government forcibly relocated many Native American tribes. On April 22, 1889, at noon sharp, a bugle sounded and hopeful settlers surged across the territory line. The number of settlers surpassed available land and they soon realized that some snuck into Oklahoma ahead of the April 22 open date. This gave them a leg up on the law-abiding settlers and first in line for the most desirable land. Those early homestead seekers are known as Sooners. In 1887, the Dawes Act was one of the many federal laws that slowly stripped Native Americans of their tribal lands and paved the way for the Oklahoma land rush. It authorized the government to break up the tribal lands and allot them to individual Native Americans in parcels of 40, 80, and 160 acres. Only Native Americans who accepted the land could become U.S. citizens, and any remaining land would be made available for public sale. The Indian Appropriations Act of 1889, also known as the Sooner Clause, opened up these unassigned lands to settlers, but specified that anyone who entered Indian territory ahead of time would be denied land. There were, however, a group of legal Sooners who had permission to enter the territory ahead of time. This group included government employees, railroad workers, and others with special permission. In some instances, legal Sooners took advantage of their position to drive off early settlers, sending them back to the line only to turn back and stake claim to the same property. In the weeks leading up to the land grab, wagon trains snaked through the neighboring states, many making their ways to border towns. One newspaper reported a line of wagons 60 miles long. It wasn't just men hoping to stake a claim. Women were among those hoping to establish a homestead on some of the best unoccupied public lands in the country. The mood was jubilant in border towns as crowds awaited the noon hour on the 22nd. Some abandoned their horses in favor of trains, hoping to get there faster. One newspaper reported that men packed the roofs of rail cars after the coaches filled up. Settlers had two ways to initiate a claim. The first was to file a claim at the land office. The second was to personally settle on a piece of land. If a conflict arose between two parties trying to claim the same land, priority went to those physically on the land. When the, crocs, when the clock struck noon on the 22nd, the mad rush began. Those who snuck into the territory early concealed themselves in ravines and bushes, and when the bugle sounded, seemed to rise up out of the ground to claim the property. Thousands poured into Guthrie, Oklahoma, which saw its population go from 10 in the morning to 15,000 by nightfall. Oklahoma City experienced similar growth, and there were more than 11,000 filings for homestead land by the end of the day. Bitter resentment arose towards Sooners who entered the territory early. This led to many court cases for years to come where litigants... Um, protested hundreds of claims. The loss of tribal lands further marginalized Native Americans who saw additional land rushes take more tribal lands in subsequent years. In 1890, the unassigned lands became the Oklahoma Territory. In 1907, Oklahoma became the 46th state. To learn more about the Oklahoma land rush, search newspapers.com. 
Event number two, hell burst from the skies over Yucca Flat this morning as America's latest atom bomb exploded with enough force to devastate, devastate much of New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, or other big city. The spectacular, de spectacular detonation televised to a nationwide audience for the first time in history was believed to have been at least as powerful as any exploded on the Nevada test site since it was activated 18 months ago. This is from 1952. Uh, Dr. Alvin Graves said the burst... The highest in history, as far as the U.S. scientists know, was definitely more powerful than Alamogordo, Nagasaki, and the Bikini Bombs. It was awfully close to one we set off last fall, explaining the scientists would not know just how much its yield in terms of equivalent exploding TNT actually was until all instrument studies had been completed. Despite its violence, Brigadier General Frank Dorn, Department of, Ar Department of Army spokesman, disclosed the, disclosed the closest GIs and generals to the blast crouched in foxholes and trenches just four miles from the airburst. Others were as far back as four and one-half miles. Yet Dorn reported, aside from bruises suffered by 120 paratroopers making the first atomic parachute jump in history, not a single casualty was suffered among the Army and Air Force troops. Not a single hair was singed, a single neck twisted, or a single head injured, he said. The only casualties were the fellows who got a mouthful of dirt when the bomb went off. The sharp-eyed bombardier aboard the bomb-dropping B-50 Superfortress missed his target by only 200 feet from an altitude of 33,000 feet, considered amazingly accurate by the scientists. The infantrymen and the paratroopers engaging in the second atomic maneuver in history came within 150 yards of ground zero, said General Dorn. The atomic flash was spotted 430 miles away in southern Idaho, yet cocky GIs and grinning generals popped out of their foxholes within the shadow of the fearsome bomb less than 10 seconds after it exploded. Out of the flash came a boiling fireball which appeared more brilliant and furious than the air-dropped A-bomb produced at the Bikini Atoll in 1946. The boiling maelstrom soared skyward, slowly burning with heat that was imagined before it was felt. General Joseph M. Swing, 6th Army Commander, said he would hazard a guess that troops could more easily capture an enemy if object if a smaller bomb was used. This one is rather, rather large for intimate close support, he added, although we actually could have been closer to the burst without danger than we were this morning. We'll need an entire series of maneuvers to determine what size bomb can be dropped with precision of delivery to cause maximum enemy destruction with a minimum of disruption of ground activity. The 6th Army commander said his men would have gone into the target area sooner than they did on the maneuvers that followed the drop. Under combat conditions, he said troops could have entered the target area in less than half the 58 minutes ordered by radiological safety units today. Troop carrying C-46s were waiting for the paratroopers who jumped one hour and 40 minutes after the bomb exploded. The troops on the ground moved into the blasted area, examined weapons they had seen placed there earlier to study the blast effects, and finally joined the paratroopers in an assault on the theoretical enemy stronghold that had just been put out of commission by the bomb. There was no apparent damage in Las Vegas as a result of the blast. A check of law enforcement agencies and the AEC showed no one had reported any damage to property or personal injury. Despite the huge blast, shock waves were not as strong as in previous detonations last year which not only shattered large plate glass windows, but caused walls in some homes and commercial establishments to crack. Only report of a cracked window came, ironically, from the lab at Branch Agricultural College in Cedar City, Utah, where budding scientists apparently forgot to heed an atom blast warning to keep windows ajar. The blast, however, hit the community of Cedar City with tremendous force, according to Professor Parley Daly, 
of the physical science department who reported two earth shocks, each about five seconds apart, which approached the fifth magnitude of an earthquake intensity. The wave struck about 14 minutes and 48 seconds after the initial blast, the professor recorded. The AEC explained the long-distance crack at Cedar City, while Las Vegas was only tapped by pointing out the shockwaves bounce in unpredictable patterns depending on air currents and that it is a frequent occurrence for the brunt of the shock to hop over any given area. And finally, on this day in 1994, Richard M. Nixon, the nation's 37th president and the only one ever to resign from that office, died in New York City after suffering a stroke four days earlier at his home in Park Ridge, New Jersey. Nixon's funeral was held five days after his death at the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum in his hometown, Yorba Linda, California. It marked the first time that five current and former U.S. presidents attended the funeral of another president. When he was elected to the presidency in 1968, Nixon pledged to bring us together as a nation, and yet before he died at age 81, he had written his own honest epitaph, I let American people down. While Nixon is widely remembered today for having left the White House in disgrace in the wake of the Watergate scandal, he also succeeded in persuading Congress to exempt 9 million low-income Americans from paying income taxes while raising levies on the rich, increasing Social Security benefits, and creating the Environmental Protection Agency. His death coincided with Earth Day, which he had helped to initiate. A skilled actor in foreign affairs, Nixon also successfully negotiated a historic opening to communist China while seeking to dampen Cold War tensions with the Soviet Union. By the time he left office in 1974, direct U.S. military participation in the Vietnam War had all but ceased. He was one of two politicians, along with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to run on a national ticket five times. He was Dwight Eisenhower's running mate in 1952 and 56, and the Republican presidential nominee in 1960, 1968, and 1972. His twin political setbacks occurred in 1960 when he narrowly lost his bid for the White House to Senator John F. Kennedy, and in 1962 when he unsuccessfully ran for governor of California, after which he told some 100 reporters, you don't have Nixon to kick around anymore because, gentlemen, this is my last press conference. The Reverend Billy Graham officiated the funeral service. Graham, a friend of Nixon's, called him in one of the most called him one of the most misunderstood men. I think he was one of the greatest men in the century. The eulogies were delivered by Graham, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, Senator Bob Dole, Governor Pete Wilson of California, and President Bill Clinton. Nixon's funeral was unique among such recent state ceremonies in that, accord, according to his wishes, none of the traditional elements of a state funeral occurred within the nation's capital. His funeral, funeral also marked the last major public appearance of former President Ronald Reagan, who in November of that year announced that he was suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Ten years later, on June 5, 2004, Reagan would become the first former president after Nixon to die. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com The Oklahoma Land Rush at blog.newspapers.com Live Atomic Bomb Test at LasVegasSun.com And Richard Nixon Dies at Politico.com the music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.